Thanks for joining us today. We believe God is going to do great things in your life and we want to hear about it. Send us your story at mystory@summitestate.com and let us know what he's done for you through this ministry. If you'd like to partner with us or bless us with a financial gift, go to summitestate.com and give an amount that works best for you. Now enjoy the message and have a blessed day. Acts chapter two. My grandfather used to say to me off and on, Ricky boy, if you want to build anything more than a chicken coop out of your life, you better build it on a strong foundation. And you know that. So the Bible gives us a foundation to get some pretty good results. If you went to HEB and bought a Betty Crocker cake mix, on the front they have a beautiful picture of a cake. Accordingly, on the back they have the recipe. And you know, for us not too smart, it just says, if you want what's on the front of the box, you got to do what's on the back of the box. Follow the recipe. Do it by the book. If you change the recipe, you change the outcome. So whether we're doing marriage, or we're doing relationships, or we're doing finance, or we're doing health, or we're doing God, He gives us some formulas here, a recipe, to get a good result. Not to condemn anybody, just to say, I want you to have a great life. And if you'll do what I tell you, you're going to get a good result. But you know, we're, we're a little bit hard-headed. I remember back, Jim, Jim's a former pilot. I was a commercial pilot. I remember the Learjet had a lot of accidents, and the 727, which is now pretty much obsolete, we flew uh, commercially in this country, most airlines, they had problems with accidents crashing on landing because most pilots tried to fly them by feel. And some planes you could, but, but the Lear and the 727, you had to fly by number. The number only, or you stall and fall like a rock. And you know what? A lot of you may be in a stall in your marriage, or in your finances, or your health, or your relationships, or your spiritual life. You stall because you're going to try to do it by feel instead of by the numbers. So God gives us the numbers here in order to bring a little bit of heaven down to earth, and we're going to take a look at it in our 30-day church challenge. And while you're looking at Acts chapter 2, I heard about a little guy, a little kid playing out in his yard, and a man came down the street, and he looked a bit frustrated, and he said to this kid, son, I'm lost. Can you tell me how to get to the post office? And the little boy said, sure, yes, sir. Just go to the stop sign, turn left. It's two blocks down on the right. Well, the man thanked him, and he said, by the way, I'm the new pastor in town, and if you'll come to my church on Sunday, I'll show you and tell you how to get to heaven. A little boy said, no, thank you, sir. You don't even know how to find a post office. I'll, <laughs> I'll just stay here. Well, I do know how to get to the post office, and over the next 30 days, I want to help you and I to get to a place where we haven't been before, helping all of us to reach our God-given potential. Nothing wrong with that. That's a good goal. So we're going to start an adventure today for five weeks called the 30-Day Church Challenge. Now, the dictionary defines a challenge, quote, as a call to take part in a contest or competition. So for the next 30 days, you and I are going to enter a contest that's designed to deepen my relationship with God, relationally with each other, and find out what the church was supposed to be. We're going to do what the church actually did in Acts 2 to become the church God wants us to be and experience a very powerful spiritual life. Let me tell you some things about a challenge. In 1930, a Scotsman named Kurt Hahn invented a wilderness learning experience he called Outward 
bound. Think about backpacking, whitewater rafting, dog sledding, rock climbing, and you pretty much have it. Well, Ol Hahn believed that character development was just as important as academic achievement. And he found out that when people were put in challenging adventures or challenging adventurous situations, they gained confidence, they redefined their perception of their personal capability. In other words, they found out they could do more than they thought they could. They could take more than they thought they could. And it came out in that challenge. It also demonstrated compassion for their other team members. And they developed a spirit of camaraderie, a bonding like a band of brothers with the peers, those that they were with. So in his leadership, Outward Bound, here's two things he discovered. First, personal growth accelerates in a challenging situation. Personal growth accelerates in a challenging situation. You will never get a miracle or grow in your comfort zone. You're going, I can meet you 20 years later, and except for wrinkles, you had not changed a bit. That's bad, folks. That's really bad. You're saved, satisfied, and stuck. And I could put another S in there. You suck. And that's choice. That's not God's will. So his wilderness challenges were so effective that over the past 80 years, thousands of people have given up weeks of their lives, paid significant amounts of money to climb mountains, you know, hike on challenging trails, canoe down rapids on a river, and repel off of high, steep cliffs. Now, we're not going to do that in this challenge. But we are going to see the benefit of a challenge. And he's doing these adventures in more than 30 countries, helping people grow in character through the power of a challenge and stress that they wouldn't normally stretch themselves. You ever watch Naked and Afraid? Yeah, you did. You said no, yes, you did. Yeah, you did. Well, I like to see what happens to the people under a stressful situation. Sometimes it brings out an incredible strength and courage and persistence and resilience, and then somebody else folds up like a deck of cards, and they go home. They tap out. They can't take it. And others, although they may look like the weaker one or something, end up being incredibly strong, courageous, and they find that they could do things they just didn't believe they could do. So you'll never know what you are until you're under pressure. And what you are under pressure is what you are. It's not what you think you are, it's what you are. A crisis does not make a hero or a coward. Nobody gets up in the morning in combat and says, well, today I think I'll be a hero. No, a crisis occurred, they threw themselves into it, not giving thought to their own life or well-being, and saved some men and their band of brothers and became a hero, usually post-mortem, post post after the fact they're dead. But he didn't get up and say, I'm going to be a hero. It just happened to be in him. And he didn't know it. And nobody else knew it until the crisis arose. Christians are like tea bags. You're not worth much. Do you get in some hot water? And then what's in you always comes out. That's why it's good to put people under pressure. You know, if you're in a dating relationship, be sure you get that partner. Watch them under stress. Because you're going to be married to that. You better watch and see if you can handle what they are under stress. Anybody can be sweet and nice when everything's nice. But if you're going to get married, everything's not going to be nice. And if you're going to have kids, it's going to be nasty. And then you got relatives and in-laws and different people. 
and then you got problems and issues and things about the person you didn't even know. You know, you dated one person, but the real person was home locked up in a cage, and you never met them until <laughs> you get married. So you find out what they're really like when you court them over a good period of time to kind of watch how they are under pressure. That's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. Watch how people panic and watch how people have peace in a situation. So when you get in a challenging situation, it makes you grow. If you go to the gym and push weight, resistance produces growth of a muscle. Now, some of you have no idea even what a muscle is. I know that. You have cute little spandex Nike outfits, but you have never even sweated in them. I know. But you have to, you have to push something that builds bone and muscles and stimulates the cardiovascular. And guess what? You grow. You grow. You, get, you turn that fat into muscle and, and that muscle into steel. So I'm not suggesting bodybuilding in here. I'm giving you a parallel to say, if you don't, if you don't get in a challenge, you're just going to stay like you are. You're going to wither and die. You're not going to grow. And then second, he discovered that people grow better when they do it together. People do better when they do it together. You put a single guy out in the wilderness or gal, and unless they're Bear grills, they're probably going to flounder and die. But you put a group of people out there, and the power of community bonds them together and enables them to do things they never thought they could ever attempt on their own. So by our very nature, we grow better when we decide to tackle challenges together. I was 40 years ago on an airplane sitting next to a man who sold exotic fish to corporate offices in their aquariums. And I asked him, what's the most popular fish you sell? Just making conversation. And he said, Sharks. And I'm thinking jaws, you know. I'm thinking sharks. He said, well, the shark will adapt to its environment. So if I put him in an aquarium, he's not going to grow but about eight inches. But if I take that same shark out of that aquarium and put him in the Pacific Ocean, he'll grow eight feet. You won't grow any bigger than the environment you're in. So whether it's racial, political, or even religious, uh, or, re or relational. You're not going to get bigger than the people you hang out with. And some of you are swimming in a mud puddle like a tadpole. And you need to get in a bigger thinking environment. That's why I say, I did not bring you here to a Republican or a Democrat environment. This is a spiritual environment, and it's about Jesus. It is not a racial environment. It's not a male, female. It's not a white, black, Hispanic it's a Jesus, it's a kingdom environment, and God wants you to get big, grow big. Big is good. You don't want to be a pygmy, you want to be a giant killer, but you won't be a giant killer in a mud puddle. And if all the people around you in your neighborhood, in your race, in your family, in your culture think broker than the Ten Commandments, you're not going to grow or prosper. You've got to get around people who think a lot bigger than you so you can raise the bar in your own life. And you may not get as big as them, but you'll get bigger you'll get bigger. You want to train with people who are going where you want to go, who think bigger than you do, who have accomplished what you want to accomplish, and you want to learn from them. I say many times, in school, if you look on somebody's paper and copy, it's cheating. But in life, in marriage, in business, even in ministry, if you copy, it's called wisdom. Find people who do it better. 
you can copy. Say, but if you, what you're doing ain't working, try something else. Find other people, and you can learn, and you can adapt according to your budget and skill and adapt things that will make your marriage better, make your life better, make relationships better. How religious do you have to be to get this? If I took you and spent a week with you, I'd find out how you talk. I'd find out who you hang out with, what you listen to, and I could pretty well tell you what your future is going to be. And some of you, if you don't like where you are, it's not going to get better. You better make some changes, and you can. And we're going to suggest some. So every Sunday during this series and Saturday, I'm going to issue a new challenge related to one of the five purposes of the church in Acts 2. Your assignment, like Mission Impossible, should you choose to accept it, is to step up to the challenge. So Monday through Saturday, we'll all read a very short devotion from the 30-day church challenge book that is in the bookshop. You need to get one. It's not expensive. You need to get one. And each day they've designed a short, very short devotion. Sip your coffee and read it. And it will take you step by step so that by the end of the week, you're ready to completely understand the challenge that we've laid down. You're ready for it, okay? Now, your experience and mine won't compare to outward bound exactly. But by this time at the end of the month, you'll discover how to reach your God-given potential, strengthen your own relationship with God, and how we can become a church that transforms our community and our world. We're supposed to be an active outreaching ministry. We're like salt. Salt is no good unless you get it out of a salt shaker and put it in salad or on meat. Nothing affects the taste of salt. Nobody ever said, this salt tastes steaky. <laughs> Nothing affects salt. Salt affects everything it touches. So God wants you out of here. This is not the main event. It's where we go, live, work, and play Monday through Friday. That's where we get out of the salt shaker and we uh, put some taste into the world. Your office, your classroom, sp sp spice it up a little bit. Bring a little bit of pizzazz to it. Take that faith, your joy, your peace, your counsel, your wisdom, your encouragement. Take that out and jack up the world a little bit around you. You can't change the world, but you can change your world. I'm doing good. I'm actually having fun. So our objective at the end of this 30-day church challenge is that we won't just come to church. We'll become the church. Okay? I, I want to get out of this building idea and get into a family idea. We want to be a community of faith, powerful, inspirational, and transformational. We want to touch our community and the world with the power of good news. I do not have any bad news. It's just the gospel means it's good news. It ain't bad news. Who wants to get up and go to church and get beat up? You get that Monday through Friday or Saturday. Some of you in your marriage, you get that every day. But the point is, I'm not going to do that to you. I'm going to give you some good news and some hope. So, you ready to begin the challenge? Okay, tell me. Say, hey, Rick, I'm up for it. Come on. I'm up for it. All right. Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 42. It says, they devoted themselves, these are the disciples, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to those that had need. 
Every day they continued to meet together in temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord began to add to their numbers daily those who were being saved. So every one of our challenges each week will relate to one of the five purposes of the church according to Acts 2. And the five purposes are, number one, to cultivate authentic community, family, relationship. Secondly, to experience worship as part of our daily lifestyle. It's, it, and it's not just music, okay? Third, to take successive steps to get spiritual growth. And fourth, to practice personal stewardship. Stewardship. Can you manage well what God's put in your hand? Then five, reach out to the world around us. We're supposed to be witnesses. All we have to do is tell somebody, I was blind, now I see. You just tell them what happened to you. People want to hear your story. It's better than preaching. It's not a sermon. And nobody can deny what happened to you. You are so different, Bill. What happened? Well, I, I saw the light. <laughs> and you, I was blind, but now I see. What happened? Tell people how you were changed. What's transformed your life? Be a witness to people. I'm singing to the choir in here. Pretty much. Pretty much so. I'm not worried about going to heaven. I don't come to church to get to heaven. Shoot, I had that made uh, at 27 when I asked Jesus to be my Savior. I'm trying to get a little heaven down here on earth. That's what I'm doing now, right? And to get some more people in that load to heaven. I'm not trying to get them to vote Republican, Tea Party, or Democratic. And I'm not trying to get them to embrace some particular secular issue. I'm just trying to get them into the kingdom. For Jesus, that's our assignment. So some of you... You're confused as a termite in a yo-yo. You don't, you don't know what you're doing. Then we have half of the church with a suitcase at the bus stop and a sword in one hand, and they don't know whether to fight or fly. Am I going to fly away? Am I going to be onward Christian soldiers? See? So we, we, we got all kinds of different attitudes and strategies in the church that it's no wonder people don't know what they're here for or what we were supposed to be or do. So one of the things that made the first church so special is that the people made time for relationships. We're going to camp on that for a few minutes. Acts 2.42 says they devoted themselves to the fellowship. Verse 44 says they held everything in common. That is in the group. If somebody was in trouble or had a need, everybody pitched in, tried to help meet that need in that small community. They broke bread together in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts. They cultivated authentic community. And one of the things you discover when you get involved in a really good church is that church is not a building you go to. It is a family you belong to. We are family. We are family. Yeah, okay. I'm too old for this. I know. I know. It's still in me, but it, so once in a while it leaks out just a little bit, but not enough to be any good. But, but sometimes these are things that pop into my mind about it. We're a family. Uh, we're not a white church, a black church, or a Hispanic. We're a family. The Bible says there's no Jew, no Gentile, no bond, no free, no Lutheran, no Baptist. We are one in Christ Jesus. We're not born of the flesh. We're born of the Spirit. If I'm born of the flesh, I'm a white Caucasian American by birth. But if I'm born again, then I have a spiritual identity, and it's not racial. 
It's not even gender. There's no male, no female in Christ Jesus. Now, physically there is, but spiritually, God says, leave your racial baggage at the door, leave your political baggage at the door, and leave your gender at the door. Don't come in with any attitude. We are one in the body of Christ. So we're a family. So yesterday at the bank, I didn't know it. One of the bro- one of our African-American brothers that goes here saw me, came running across the parking lot, grabbed me up, picked me up, and gave me a hug because we're family. That was my brother. And I was so glad to see him. That's not done often. It ought to be done all the time. Or a sister in a restaurant. I tell people, I don't care who, you're welcome at my home, at my restaurant table. You can invade my space if I'm in line at the bank. Anything else, because it's family. What do you do when you see your sister? I go over and give my sister a hug. Sometimes we may have lunch together. But the point is, when it's family, there's no us and them. It's, us, it's we, as uh, Jessica said, right? Get a family attitude about it. If you're hurting, I care about it. If I can help, I will. If I can't, maybe I know somebody who can. That's the whole point of a family. I'm here for family. I'm here because I want you to do well. There are new people in our family here. We'll meet some new members this morning. Uh, they're, they're, they're old people been here a long time. And there are people who, who've been here sort of a medium time like that. But you come in and you connect and you, you, become, you become a, a spiritual family. Uh, I, the most comforting place I get to go all week is not, my, not my, my in-laws or relatives, but my spiritual family means more to me than anything in the flesh. And if you had my relatives, you'd understand why. But that, well, that's why. So how do you experience authentic community? Because this is, this is our first challenge, to get connected, to get in a small group, to, to open up, to be a little bit vulnerable to people around you. You can't get known by everybody, for crying out loud, but you can a few. And you can't do that in a church, a big church or a big setting. You've got to do it in a smaller group. I'll give you some illustrations. But how do you get it? How do you experience this authentic community? First, make time for it. You'll make time for anything important to you, and you do it every week. You do this. Whether it's exercise and fitness, whether it's a, a date night with your wife, you schedule, you book it, you make time for it. If it's important, you make time for it. You're never too busy for what you value, ever. So you make time. You commit to an intentional group of people on a weekly basis. You sign up for a group out in the lobby, and they've got zip codes near you. Pick one and go to it. You're not committing to marriage till death do you part. You're not committing to 36 payments to buy a car. You're, you're committing to once a week for five weeks. How many of you think you could really sacrifice for that? You could do this. Sparky, you can do this. Five weeks, once a week, commit to it. Mark it off. Don't schedule anything else for it. So in day one of our 30-day challenge book, you're going to read about the relationship between old David and Jonathan. Jonathan was heir to the throne of Israel. David was the commanding general of Israel's armies. These are two busy guys, but they knew the power of relationship that bonded them together. Even in the midst of all their responsibilities, they made time for each other, and both of them were better men because of it. The Bible says, iron sharpens iron. Deep calls to deep. He that walks with wise men shall be wise. Oh, yeah, and stupid calls out to stupid. Birds of a feather usually flock together. That's a fact. You may not like it, but it's still true. You, 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 
I, I want to grow. I, I want to learn. So you first of all have to intently say, okay, for five weeks, I'm going to take the challenge. I'm a little reticent. Maybe I'm a little introverted. Well, that's the whole idea. You ain't going to grow this way. You've got to get out, and you're going to find in some of these great people who, who have incredible skill, wisdom, or experiences that will bless you, help you. You say, well, nobody knows what I'm going through. Oh, heck, I've been around. Are you kidding me? I could pull up 100 people right now who've already been through, whether it's divorce, whether it's the loss of a child in a catastrophic illness, whether it's the loss of a job, older in life. Come on, give me something hard. Everybody's got trouble. Everybody's been through a hurt, a betrayal, uh, maybe their own sin. Everybody has. Somebody's got a DWI or whatever. These are recoverable things, but you'll find in a small group, you'll find hope and encouragement with people who have an answer for what you've got. Maybe you, you need medical attention or one of the children. Well, we've got doctors all over the place. We've got lawyers, and the way I speed, I need every one of them <laughs> in this church. And these are connections. I mean, we got the district attorney in here. Come on, make my day. <clears throat> Sir, did you know you? Yes, I did know. Yes. It was premeditated, intentional. Yes, it was. I have no excuse. I'm guilty. Now, that's how I plead every day. Yeah. Well, I didn't know. Yeah, you dirty liar. You did know. You did know. Doing 80 miles an hour, 65 zone. You didn't know it yet. Well, the, the car's heavy. I didn't. I didn't. No, it's my foot is heavy, and I'm guilty. So I never, I agree quickly with my adversary. I, I, when it comes to what I did wrong, I did it, and I knew I did it, and I did it intentionally. Folks, you, this is what you call, this ain't fake news, this is real news. This is being, this is authentic. And there's some things I did I would never do again. And I, I hope you, you would say the same thing. You find out in a small group. And you feel, Cindy and I went to a marriage, uh, we took a 13-week marriage seminar. Oh, man, I, that's the most hard, difficult thing I ever did. I am just not your normal counselee. Uh, uh, I have to sit, hold hands, be quiet, one book. You have to share, the, share, share the book. Yeah, I can't speak up. I cannot object. I can't say anything. It, I, it was like going to the proctologist or something for what, it, oh my God, I don't want to go. And every Friday for 13 weeks, it was like, I'm walking to the gas chamber. I am walking to my death. And I just tell you the truth, it was hard. It was, but we did it. But we did it. So I'm, I'm saying, I do things that I don't want to do that are good to do, but maybe I didn't want to do it, but I became better because I did it. That's all. You can do this too. But here was my punchline. After Cindy and I did the 13 weeks, we looked at each other walking out and we said, shoot, we thought we had troubles. We hadn't got any trouble. These people are in a crisis. That's what we, that's what we thought. That even that jacked us up, made us feel a lot better. But I wouldn't have known if I hadn't have gone. So relationships don't just happen. You can't get it in a day. You've got to continually spend time and bond and get to know people. You can't have deep relationships with everybody, but you can cultivate real, authentic relationships with a few. 
And we have people that have bonded in here and have made lifelong friends through a connection. I can pick off pairs of men in here. And I did last night. I took a few illustrations of how I introduced them over a building need, over a legal need, over a medical need, or whatever. And they just came together, and now they're lifelong friends. You'd think they were born out of the same family. And it happened in a small group where they connected. So you just have no idea how much is available to everybody until you get in a group. And somebody knows somebody who knows somebody who opens the door you need to go through. Well, they're having an interview for that job in my company, and I know the person who's interviewing for that. I can set you up with an interview. Oh. See, God will meet every need. But if you stay by yourself in your mud puddle, there's no way to get you any help. So you've got to come out of your shell and find, and by the way, when you connect with a group, be sure you connect with some other people not like you. I don't want all black people going to a black group and a white people and Hispanic people and some of you Asian people going to Asian group. You won't grow. If everybody in the room is thinking the same thing, somebody is not thinking. So I won't grow if I don't reach out of my box and find out how other people think and feel. And that's important to me. And if I deal with an issue, it has a different effect on one culture or race. I better know what it is. I better not speak from my privilege to somebody that's been disprivileged, underprivileged, like I know something and I don't know anything. I've never been mistreated. I've never had to, I never had to be afraid of the highway patrol stopping me. When I was in the South, as a kid growing up, I had to be afraid of my daddy whooping my head when I got home. I, I was worried about that, but I never was worried about abuse because of my race or because of my color. And there are other people in here who have. You haven't, so shut up. You don't know what that's like. And you can't just say, well, get over it. Well, it's a little, you, yeah, I got to move on. But I also want to be very respectful of somebody's feelings that was mistreated. I mean, we have single women trying to get a job who get uh, maybe disadvantaged, other people going through sexual harassment. I got, a, I got a wide parameter of people here with me. And they, they didn't all vote your way. They don't all think your way. And sometimes that iron sharpening iron is really going to help you get wisdom and help you become a better person, a more approachable person, and somebody they trust. I want everybody to say, I'm not going to hit you with my white agenda. I ain't got one, by the way, just a kingdom agenda. But I want you to let your guard down so you can feel vulnerable and 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 come right up to me anywhere and say, Rick, you don't have to say bishop, apostle, the reverend Rick, and all that nonsense. All you got to say is, Brother Rick, if you don't know me. Now, if I call you brother or sister, that means I don't know your name. That's how you know I don't know your name. I hadn't been in a small group with you. I might recognize your face, but if I say, hey, brother, how you doing? Then you know, he don't know my name. He did not remember my name. So you want to help me? Always tell me your name, and you'll, and you'll laugh. I'll laugh, but I'll love you for it, because I'd much rather give you the name than brother. But that just, but it's, you see me alone up here every week, and I don't see you. I see a crowd. So it's harder for me. Now, my wife remembers every name, your birthmark. She got your temperature when you walked in the door. And if you got a growth or a tumor, she knows it. I don't know. I got something for, the, uh, for one of my kids the other day, and they said, what's the date of birth? birth? And I thought, I don't know. I don't know her birthday. I know my wife's birthday. I better know that one. I got that. That's, 
but I don't know my kid's birthday, and I don't know their cell number. If you stole my phone right now, I could only call my house and the office. I could not call my own wife because it's in the phone. Any, boy, any guys out there like this with me? Oh, thank you, brother. Thank you. Thank you. So I said, I had to go to my smartphone and get, here's her phone number. So I am her daddy and blah, blah, blah. And she lives here. I said, ask me another question and I'll identify myself. But I couldn't, I couldn't, I can't remember their birthdays. I don't know. So, and if you get a birthday card for me, and many of you will that are in leadership or whatever, you can thank my wife. Don't thank me. She told me it was your birthday or my personal assistant, Judy Orr, told me. You think I'm keeping a record of everybody's birthday? Are you kidding me? Do I strike you as a guy with that kind of sensitivity? <laughs> you got to be kidding. Is it important? Yes, it is. So God put her in my life because she knew that's an important part of community. And I like it. Amen. It is fun. So once you make that commitment to getting in a small group once a week, five weeks, then you make the second commitment, you, com you contribute to it. You do something in it. It's one thing to show up and sit down. Anybody can do that. But a good group bonds and gels when all the members of the group make some conscientious effort to do something. Somebody might bring dessert this time or a little casserole. Somebody else will call people who didn't show up or weren't there. Is there sickness? Is there a need? And during the group meeting, everybody pays attention. You read your little devotion. It's short. And everybody chips in with a comment where it's appropriate. But nobody just sits silent. Contribute to it. Add something to it and say, well, I went through this experience myself, and here's what happened, and somebody else is blessed by hearing your story. Somebody else went through another experience. Contribute. That's all it is. When I have a staff meeting, I want people to, hey, give me your feedback on what I just taught you or shared with you. Or the men's breakfast the other morning we had. Give me, give me some feedback on that. What do you think? You got any good illustrations, or did it generate something else that might be really helpful to the group? Contribute. I am never at a loss for something to say. My wife said he may not be right, but he's never in doubt. <laughs> I want to contribute. I want to add to that, even to enforce it or whatever. So, so be, be somebody who contributes, you know. Add value to that team. That's what bonds it together. Somebody has a need, you step up. And somebody, uh, for example, Benny uh, Torres is an electrician. I didn't even know that. And somebody had a need uh, with a circuit breaker in their house in Costa Rica, and he flew down and took it out and fixed it because that was his gift. And in that small group, that's just a way to contribute and add some, some benefit that you have. You never know. Somebody else is maybe an expert on something else. You know, if you were married to Danica Patrick with NASCAR, she could fix your car if it <laughs> broke. Say, honey, would you go out there and check the car? I can't, it won't start. So the bottom line is you learn to do life together, speak the truth in love to one another, and make each other's lives better as a result of it. The third step in building great community is that you show gen a genuine interest in the lives of other people. Hey, how'd that doctor's visit go? You were concerned about that last week. What'd he say? Well, and, and you share. You just show concern. Uh, the other day, uh, Bobby Davis was coming from downtown from his plumbing supply business, getting something, I don't know. He said, I was just thinking about you in the car, and uh, you doing okay? Well, yeah, I was doing fine. But uh, he, it was nice for you to know somebody was thinking about me. 
He said, well, I just, you popped into my head, so I didn't know if that was a God saying, give you a call because you got a need or a problem or something, but it was nice to be there. And every now and then, somebody else will say, hey, the Lord just put you on my, my mind. Are you doing okay? You know, or you want to have lunch or something like that? Yeah, yeah. And pick, I call people all the time. So, hey, you doing okay? You check up on people? How, how many of you think anything I've said so far is like, wow, that's really tough? Encouragement's really easy. You could write a note. You could text somebody, see how they're doing. And you could pray for them. If you heard they're having some problems or whatever, you pray for them or one of their kids. Okay, let's get to the end of this thing and land this airplane. What is, what's the effect of this kind of a community? What kind of a, an effect does it have on us and on people? Look at Psalms 133. Psalms 133. It's right in the middle of your Bible. It's the shortest chapter in the Bible. There's just three verses. And authentic community, this is, this is written by King David, who had his group called David's Mighty Men. And that was the, his band of brothers. But here's what David says it's like when you get a good group together and you bond. He said, how good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity. It is like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron the high priest's beard, down on the collar of his robe. It's like the dew of Hermon falling on Mount Zion, for there the Lord commands his blessing, even life forevermore. So this is giving me a little idea about what real small group life is like. He said, it's good and pleasant to be in the community of a few other people. And then the next line, he talks about the oil on Aaron's beard. In David's day, there were two great offices in the nation of Israel. One was the king. Well, David held that office. The other was the office of high priest of the nation. That position was passed from father to son in the lineage of the first high priest, which was Aaron, the brother of Moses. So they call it the Aaronic priesthood. And it was passed off to each succeeding generation. The office of the high priest was for life. So most people only got to see the inauguration and anointing of one high priest in an entire lifetime. And when it happened, it was a huge city ceremony in Jerusalem. And God gave them a special mixture that must have been, have you ever got on an elevator or walked in the lobby and some lady had, has already passed by that had on some beautiful smelling perfume and it just put a beautiful aroma in it? No, I guess not. But anyway, that's a good smell. That's a good smell. I, I, once or twice, it was so great getting it, walking through an office. I said, ma'am, you smell amazing. I hope that's a compliment because it, it was really nice. I mean, she wouldn't want to hear you stink, but you smell good. So this anointing oil had to be mixed a certain way with certain ingredients. God names them in, the, in numbers, and he said, I'll kill anybody that tries to imitate it, duplicate it, substitute it, or use it other than this one occasion for the anointing of the high priest, and that aroma just filled the room. We call it rate of diffusion. Certain, certain chemicals can be open, and the rate of diffusion is like, whoosh, it just goes out really, really fast. So you can imagine the whole of downtown Jerusalem. You could smell this incredible, powerful, beautiful, fragrant aroma. And then they poured oil on his head. That was this aftershave or cologne. And they didn't put oil on them like we do with a little dabble, do you, right there. They just took a bucket and poured it 
over their head and it just saturated everything. And everywhere he went, there was an aroma, a beautiful aroma everywhere that priest went. By the way, everywhere you go, there's an anointing you carry as a child of God. I hope you leave a sweet smell, not a stink, wherever you go. Do you brighten up a room? Do you turn a little bit of conflict into peace? Well, you can carry that presence with you as well. And then he uses another illustration. It's like the dew of Hermon that flows down uh, to Jerusalem, which was on Mount Zion. And Israel is a very dry, rocky climate. It's only got a very short rainy season. After that, all plants and animals will die unless they get moisture that comes from one natural source, which is Mount Hermon. And it's on the northern end of Israel. It's the highest mountain in the country. And the summit is high enough so that when the wind blows off the Mediterranean Sea, it captures that moisture, becomes water, flows down the mountain, even as far as Jerusalem, which sits on Mount Zion. Without the dew of Hermon, plant life would die. Nothing could survive. So David is saying that same effect that Mount Hermon has on everything around it to give life, to cause things to be fruitful, to blossom. He says that's the same thing you get when you get a small group that has authentic community. It's life-giving. It's joyful. It's fruitful. It, it makes you grow. It's, it's a, it has a sweet smell. It affects everything and everybody around you. So say with me this morning, how good and pleasant it is when brothers and sisters live together in unity. So community is like an anointing event for a whole nation or an environmental lifeboat for an ecosystem. If real community is so precious, so life-giving, why don't more of us experience it? Simple, busy, 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 urgent, busy, important. Everything urgent is not important. Successful leaders learn that. Everything is urgent, but it's not important. You got to decide which. And so things that build your marriage, things that build your life, things that build relationship with your children, and obviously things that build your relationship with God, that's important. I got a lot of urgent things that come over the phone and email every day, but that's not important. That's important. If my wife says, I need you, everything urgent stops, and what's important gets my focus. Same for one of my kids if they're in trouble, and so I'm sure you're the same way. So our point is, you have to make a time to do this. You have to be intentional about doing this. You don't grow accidentally. You've got to grow deliberately and on purpose. This is something you have to work at. So we're involved in our kids' little league. We, that's a good thing. We're involved in our careers. That's a good thing. And then there's family chores and exercise and uh, carnival crews and paying bills and watching TV and vacations and so many other things at our fingertips. We can miss the most important things that are life-enriching. So do I want to enjoy joy and unity that a community brings? Do I want the spirit of celebration that doing life with others brings to me? Do I want to bring life and refreshment to your family, your friends, and acquaintances? Man, I do. Are you willing to invest a little bit of time in order to do that? And you ought to jump up and say, yeah, I'm up for that. I'm willing to invest in that. So our first challenge, if you accept it, is to get yourself connected to a small group. 
You can go out to the lobby when we dismiss and find the zip code near you, and you can get in it. So I'm going to ask you to do three things. Attend the weekend service, that's this one, or Saturday night, and uh, you'll get the subject matter for the challenge for the week. Second, read the daily material in the 30-day challenge book. Simple. And last, be part of a small group where you can do life together with others and learn truth together. So you got to get up for that. So we're going to go into an accelerated learning challenge where we do things together to make us better every single week and every single day. Let some iron sharpen iron. Find out other people have had problems and overcome them. You will be encouraged. Don't be a wallflower. Don't stay shy. Because remember, I want you to go away with that picture of a mud puddle and a tadpole. Or I want you to picture an eight-foot shark in the Pacific Ocean and decide which one you want to be. And if you don't come out of that mud puddle, you're going to stay stuck as a tadpole and something probably going to eat you. I want, to be that, I want to be that 20-foot great white shark that eats everything. I don't want nobody eating me, so I want, to, I want to be doing that. But if I do it, I've got to be intentional about it. This is not something that happens accidentally. It's never convenient. Have you ever noticed the most important things in life are never convenient? Never. They never come at a convenient time, ever. It's eruptions and eruptions and eruptions, and I have to constantly say, okay, what's important versus what's urgent? So, and if you're already, some of you are already very active and positive in small groups. If that's you and you've been leading one for a long time, it's time now for you to find somebody in that group that you can groom to go out and start another group, start another small group of connecting people. And please do it because you're in that area together. Let's don't have apartheid. Let's don't make them by race or by political affiliation. Let's just do them because we're friends, we're family, and where the family gathers together, we come together. So, so that's, that's exactly the way I feel. So you'll see on our staff, it's all different races. You'll see on our stage, all different races. You'll see on our elder governing board here, all different races. You won't see any, you won't see any agenda with anybody except the kingdom. And so I'm trying to get you to practice the same thing. I got to work at it, work at it. If I see people uh, from Nigeria, I see people, sometimes I can tell by dress, different groups, race, and they're all clustered together, which is typical. I'm comfortable with my friends over here, me, myself, and I, I will walk right into that crowd, open it up, throw my arms around and say, man, thank you for coming today. I'm so glad you're here. And tell somebody how good they look or how sharp they look and something like that. You've got to be intentional about that. I work hard at that. It didn't well, he's just a friendly guy. I am not a friendly guy. <laughs> I am not Huggy Bear. I have a hug-free zone, about three feet right there. You ask my wife, I'm shy. I don't, I don't, I'm not a good, uh, oh, he just loves to get into the crowd. No, I don't. If I'm left to myself, I'm just good alone. It's not good. It's not Bible, but that's, that would be me naturally. Yeah, it would. It would. You say, well, I'll just leave you. I care less. That's my temperament. And I'm trying to show you we're all different, but I can, get, I can make myself do what I wouldn't naturally do because it's kingdom. It's kingdom, and I'll just, God, you'll help me. I'll just do it. I want to do it. It's in my heart to do it, but I'm shy to do it, and I'm not any different than you. I feel insecure and un, unqualified and inadequate. I've, my fight to get in the ministry was like, oh, there's a hundred things I can do so good, but no, you want me to go in the ministry. Oh, no. 
That's a bad idea. And so my fight wasn't with God. My fight was with me. Uh, somebody else will do that much better than me. Somebody much nice. And God says, yes, but they're boring. Would you please, <laughs> would you please, faults and all, do what I ask you to do? There will be a certain group of people that like that. So I need you for that. So, okay. So here I am. You're stuck with me. Okay. Sorry. I, and I think he could do better too, but that's the way it goes. So are you up for the challenge? Say with me, this week, I will begin to cultivate authentic community with a few other people. I will attend a small group and share honestly. I will help the group become a group. I'm up for this challenge. In Jesus' name, somebody shout amen. For more information on Summit Christian Center, visit summitsa.com.